a French writer, Henri Barbu, he uh, writes about a story that, um, writes about actually an incident that happened on the battlefields of World War I. One person was, was so terribly wounded that he, was, he would have died. And he calls out to his friend, and he says, listen, Dominic, I know you're wanted. Police want you. Your, your life has been a life of crime. But I've got clean slate. No one's looking for me. And so I'm, I'm going to die. But what I want to do is, here, give me your papers. Here are my papers. Let's do an exchange. Because um, then I can die and take your crimes with me. I thought that was a beautiful story as I read that because that, that is maybe a poor example, but a good imagery of what Jesus Christ does when he says, I'm going to take your crimes on myself and as we take his righteousness upon ourselves. That's also a beautiful picture of baptism. This identification into this uh, being identified in this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we say, he is the one who I belong to. And when we talk about baptism, you know, there's a lot of questions that come. Like, what is baptism? Why baptism? Does baptism help in my salvation? How do I take baptism? Uh, you know, where did baptism really start? Now, I know there are all those questions, but really what we want to address today is probably the most important question or the, or the most important type of baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we want to understand. And this makes for an eternal difference. Uh, we won't be looking at uh, covering the water baptism, which I know today is the uh, Baptism Sunday. We are excited about it. Uh, so as we continue to pray for those who are getting baptized, and I hope we are all able to get out there at 5 o'clock at Erendale Bible Chapel um, so we can see wh- how, uh, when we hear their testimony of what God has done in their lives and how they want to be identified with Jesus Christ. But before that, we really need to know about this uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that is what... I want to speak on baptism of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of your life or new life in Jesus Christ. Let's just pray before we start. Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are the cause, the primary cause of everything, even our salvation. And so we come here, Lord, sit around your feet and speak to me and through me. Feed your people. Show us, Lord, what it means to, be, uh, to belong to you, to be identified to you, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. All that you, which you do, we thank you in Jesus Christ, Lord's name. Amen. So before we look at the spirit baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to just give us a little context, a little lay of the land, as it were. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the meaning of baptism and then about uh, the history of baptism. Uh, and as we tie that in, we will move in then to the spirit baptism. All right. So the meaning of baptism. The word baptism is a translator, trans, 
transliterated word baptisto, baptisto, which is which means to immerse, to be identified with. Listen to this. Baptisto word was especially prominent in the dye trade, dyeing, as in you know dipping, change uh, the col- the the color of the cloth that changes. The cloth would be dipped or immersed into a vat of dye. The material was baptized in dye. When the cloth was removed from the vat of dye, it had a distinct and a new appearance. It was identified in a new way. So really what baptism does is two things. One is identification, and the other is this declaration that some changes happen. It is to say that I am identifying myself and I'm declaring that this has happened. Okay, listen to this quote. It says, it implies entrance into fellowship and allegiance as exists between the Redeemer and the redeemed, a master's undisputed ownership over the slave, the soldier's loyalty to Caesar that he belonged absolutely to the emperor. So there is this change in condition and status. When you get baptized, when you say, I'm identifying myself with someone, I'm saying I'm not myself, I don't belong to myself, I belong to someone else. That's the change in status, a change in condition. I was was something else, but now I belong, I'm a slave to the master, or I'm the soldier to Caesar, as we just read from the court. So that is the, the meaning, as your word, of baptism. So there's a change in status uh, and a change in condition in the identification. We'll see that a little bit as we look at the Old Testament to understand what that means. There are some good meaning, the good examples there. All right? But we need to understand this. All right? It's about identification. I've been identified because of a change in status and condition. So history of baptism. Where did it first start? Did it start uh, in the New Testament? Has there been something happening prior to that? Has there been a meaning coming out of that? So it's first seen in Old Testament. It is seen in Old Testament. The word baptism is not mentioned in Old Testament, but the imagery is there in the Old Testament. All right? So I want to put it in two ways. One is typology, and the second is ceremonial. Typology and ceremonial. Typology means, uh, or allegory, a typology is something of a picture or an imagery that is going to reflect an event or uh, an incident or something that's going to happen later. And we see that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see typologies. We'll look at that. But not just typology, but there's also the ceremonial uh, practice that gives us the understanding of baptism, all right? So the first one, I said typology. In fact, the, there are quite a few, but the two I want to pull out especially is the flood of Noah, the flood during Noah's time, and the second is the passing through the Red Sea uh, by the nation of Israel. And both of these have been referenced as baptism in the New Testament, in First Peter chapter 3, we read about the flood of Noah being used as a typology of baptism. And the passing of the Red Sea is also uh, discussed as a typology of baptism. Now, what's happening, really? 
right? There were, how many people were there in the ark, in Noah's ark? Eight, okay? Noah, his wife, and the three sons and their wives, eight of them, and the animals too, but eight souls, all right? That's what we read in First Peter 3, that water, they were in water, which would have been the emblem of death. They should have died, and in effect they died, but they rose, as it were, preserved and raised again to new life uh, is the imagery that you get. Red Sea, too. They're passing through the Red Sea. It says the cloud of Moses, as in baptized into the cloud of Moses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That what happens is they come in through the waters. The Egyptians die. They would have died, but in, there's an emblem or a symbol of death, but they are now brought to new life. Now, these are imageries. It's not exactly what, what happens or the picture that we have in the New Testament. That's why it's called typology. That is, that is you can see that is this imagery that is happening, and we, can, we, we know there's something else. It's, it's pointing to something else. Okay, so those two we have. But we also have the ceremonial. What, what I mean by ceremonial is in the, as, as the priest, they, they had the temple, and what they would do there in the, uh, in the temple was also a, a ceremonial picture of baptism. Two things. One is when uh, the sons of Aaron were made into priests, there, they were in this case they were sprinkled, but they were cleansed. There was there was this change of condition. They were they were just sons of Aaron, but now they become priests. The the so that's a change of status. But then there's also another one where there's this cleansing of the leper. In Leviticus 15 is the other place where they say when the, when the leper is now, or somebody who's got the skin disease, now the word leper does not necessarily mean the lep- leprosy that we know of, of any skin disease. And so when they had this and they were clean, they would have to be washed. They had to be cleansed. There was an indication that there's a change in their condition. The priests had the change in status. The, those who were lep, uh, lep, you know, the, those who had the skin condition, they, they were healed or they were cleansed. They had this picture of cleansing. So you have both the change of status and change of condition pictured in these washing. All right? So, so Old Testament, they had an imagery. They probably didn't know exactly what it was. But when... John the Baptist came, and he started talking about baptism. They knew exactly what John was trying to say. He was trying to say, listen, I want you to be identified with something that uh, I'm doing. And what is the role of John the Baptist? He was the voice of the one who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. That was a prophecy from Isaiah 40. And so when John the Baptist comes, he brings in what's called the baptism of repentance. He says, I want to prepare your hearts. I want you to get ready because someone's coming. He says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one who's bringing, who's the anointed one. I'm not the Savior. But I want to prepare your hearts. So come, repent. And as you repent, I want you to be baptized. He calls it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he says, it's the baptism of repentance, preparing his heart. Now, 
In the context, you have the Pharisees who come. Now, who are the Pharisees? Pharisees are the, the religious leaders, who, people who thought they knew it all and they were, you know, they were just, uh, they thought they were the best or the God's gift to mankind. Right? And, and so they come. And what does John the Baptist tell these Pharisees? Do you remember? A brood of vipers, who has told you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Show the fruit of repentance. What John the Baptist was saying is, no, if you have come in repentance, no, that should have been okay, but you really, your intent was to flee from wrath. It wasn't repentance. That is, why, that is what John the Baptist had a problem with. He was saying that, listen, if you're repenting of who, who you are and what you've done and you're preparing your hearts for the, for the Messiah to come, that's great. But if you're just here with an intent to get a passport to get to heaven, then no, this is not the place. And so he prepares. He says he's not the Messiah. We must understand the baptism of John the Baptist is not about uh, salvation or the result of salvation. It's just preparing the people's heart for the Messiah who's coming. And when we get to Acts 19, you realize, as you read there, that the baptism of John the Baptist is complete. It's done. The work was done. And so no more do we have the baptism of John the Baptist. Because he was preparing for who? Whose way? The Lord's way. And the Lord has already come. And so his work is complete. The typology in the Old Testament, that is done. That was typology. That was imagery. Now we have Jesus Christ. All right, so I want you to understand, even though people keep going back to the Old Testament time, that was just a picture of the real thing that's been pointed to. So that's done. John the Baptist is done. But the Lord Jesus comes along, and he says, I'm going to, uh, he, he, he baptizes he baptizes people. We read in John 4, not he himself, but his disciples. John 4, 1 and 2, we read that. So, so not much is given about you know, why and how, but we would assume that people who want to identify themselves with Jesus Christ as the Messiah, uh, that the baptism was done. All right? So, so all of that in the history, but we see... The Lord also commanding and promising. There are two things that he does, okay? Before ascension, as is what we call the great commission that he gives, and also to the apostles uh, in Acts chapter 1, there are two things that he does. One, he commands. He says, go into the whole world, preach the gospel, right? But making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's a clear commandment about this baptizing of, of the water baptism or the believer's baptism because it's important to recognize that it's upon making disciples that they are baptized. Okay, so you got that. So that is one, but there's also this expectation of a promise in, in Acts 1, if you will turn there. If you will turn with me to Acts 1. Uh, 
And in verse 4 and 5, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. It's the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. I spoke about this. For John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was first prophesied. In Matthew chapter 3, 11, John says this. When people come to him and ask him, are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? He says, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm just preparing the way. In chapter 3, verse 11 of Matthew, we read, I baptize you with the water for repentance or of repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. So John the Baptist is saying, listen, this baptism, I'm just preparing you for it, okay? This is not, this is just a picture. This is just getting you ready. This is not the real thing. Don't get caught up in this. Move on. I want to point you to something. And he says this is promise that this person who's coming, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And then we just read in Acts chapter 1, the Lord Jesus Christ saying, he says, he makes this promise. He says, the, the Father's promise. And he says, don't leave Jerusalem till you have that. Then as you go through the rest of Acts, you will see the evidence of both the water baptism and the, and the result of the effect of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that is how it's lined out. Okay? But what then is spirit baptism? What is spirit baptism? We keep talking about it. And I think there are a lot of errors that have crept in. There are a lot of misunderstanding, and I'm hoping in the Spirit of the Lord that we would have a clarity on what that is. All right, so the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let me define it to you, for you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that imperceptible work, that is, you can't feel, you can't see, but you're assured in faith, whereby the Spirit of God places the believer into union with other believers in the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. Three things I want you to notice here. One, it's imperceptible. That is, there's no physical, you know, those of you who've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you haven't sprouted angels' wings. No, there's no physical change. There's no necessarily like an emotional impact. There are some people God is able to do, but no, even that may not be uh, necessary. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit, which means it's not something that you can cause to do. It is not your work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that it happens at the moment of salvation. So let's unpack this, okay? We need to understand this a little clearly. Uh, John Piper, in his book, he says there are 50 things that happens when you're saved. 50 things. And he, you know, he makes a list from all of the various references, one of that is this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that at the time of your new birth, at the time of you being born into God's kingdom, you, you have a change of status and condition. A change of status and condition. And that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who does it, not us. When um, the Lord Jesus Christ was talking to Nicodemus, you know, he comes and says, uh, you know, we know you're from, you're from God. 
And the Lord, you know, cuts to the chase and he says, you must be born again. And he's like, what does that mean? How can I just go into my mother's womb again? Is that what you mean? He says, no, 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 that's not what it is. And this is what he goes on to say from chapter, in chapter 3 of John from verses 7 and 8. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it came from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What the Lord Jesus Christ was saying is this is the work of the Holy Spirit. You, you, he is God. Holy Spirit is God. You can't influence him. You can't like, cause him to do what you want him to do. He does it. It's him. It's like that wind. You don't know where it came from, where it's going, but he does the work. That's the Spirit. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as you referenced. The change, the conversion, and, and among the 50 things that happens, one of which is this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's dig deeper. Right? Let's just get a little deeper and understand what this means. There are about 11 references that speak specifically about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so what we want to do is we want to divide that into three parts. One is the who, the when, and the why. The who, the when, and the why. The who, right? Uh, it says who is going to bring about this baptism. And who did we say is going to bring about this baptism? The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But first it's going to be brought in by who? Matthew chapter 3, 11, this is not me, this is the waters, this is the baptism of repentance, but there comes one whose sandals I'm unworthy to open, but he will baptize you in the name, uh, baptize you in, in uh, uh, the Holy Spirit. All right, so it, it, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who, uh, who ushers in, as it were, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. The question then you ask is like, when did that happen first? When? When did it happen first? The first time? And when does it happen in the life of the new believer? Two whens, all right? The first when, I want us to go back to this timeline. So John the Baptist, he says, there's going to come somebody whose sandals I'm unworthy to loosen. He will baptize. So what tense is that? Past, present, or future? Right, in, right? He's talking about the future. Something's going to happen in the future. Then the Lord Jesus Christ, he said in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 5, we read, it says, stay here in Jerusalem because you will be soon baptized in the Holy Spirit. What, are you, what, what tense is that? Future again. But turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 15 and 16. This is Peter is talking about what happened when he went to the house of Cornelius, who was a centurion, a Gentile. And uh, the Jews are a little concerned, like, how is it that, uh, you know, uh, the, the faith that was held by those Jews are now being experienced by the Gentiles, who, who are not Jews, the non-Jews, who they used to call Gentiles. So now Peter comes back and he says this. He says in verse 15 and 16, As I began to speak... The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
And, and so he experiences, he, he shows this, he talks about it, saying that, hey, they've experienced the same thing that we did later as you go down. We'll come back to that later. So we, we experienced that earlier. And he's referencing to the time of the Pentecost that we read in Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 with cloven tongues and fire. So that was the first time. All right? But what, does that happen each time somebody is saved? And that's important to ask. All right? So that's where you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Now this is the proof text of when are you baptized in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And talking about new life, and talking about conversion, and talking about being born again, and talking about what happens when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, they are all made to drink of one spirit. That is, when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you say you belong to him, when you say that he has, you know, you've received him, whatever the phraseology that we've been using, that he is my Lord, is my Savior, that's the time you've been baptized into that one body, one Lord, and one spirit. In uh, Romans 8, 9, it says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if I say at the moment of conversion, that that is when I was saved, and if I don't have the Spirit, then I don't belong to Him. So there's a paradox. It must be at the time of conversion or transformation, life transformation. So at the point of salvation is when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, the question is why? What happens? Why is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay, I want to give you five verses. We, um, we uh, don't have much. To, uh, let's do that anyways. Let's, so let's turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 6. Now I want you to notice here that spirit baptism brings us to unity with Jesus Christ and that we are no longer slaves to sin. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried through, uh, we were buried, therefore, sorry, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So we see, therefore, that we are united with Jesus Christ. Second, if you will turn to Colossians chapter 2, Verse 12. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That we've been raised from the dead and we've been forgiven all of our trespasses. Galatians 3, 26 to 28. Galatians 3, 26 to 28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you all are one 
in Christ Jesus. So in Galatians, we see that we're made to put on Christ. We're made one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4, 5, we won't turn there, but it says we are brought together under one Lord, one faith, one God, one Father. Uh, we saw 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, where we're brought into one body. So when the work of salvation, when the work of the Lord happens in my heart, in my life, that is the time when all of these things happen. That I am now identified with Jesus Christ. There's a change in my status. There's a change in my condition. And it is Jesus Christ who brings it about. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there are certain things, quickly, I want to point out as bullet points that you can remember. The first I want you to remember is that, therefore, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's a gift. It's not something that we have earned. You know, the rich young ruler, he says, what is it that I can do? What good deed can I do to earn salvation or to inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, no, that's not the way it works. It's not something that you earn. It's a gift. We read in Acts chapter 11 and 17, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we just saw that about the Cornelius. This, uh, Acts 2.38, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit has happened, when the, when the, uh, on the Pentecost, the, the Jews who had gathered together for the Pentecost, they come, they, they come around and ask, what's, what's happening? What's happening? Like, are you drunk? And then he, then he says, no, this is about Jesus Christ. And then they ask, what do we do? How, how can we be saved? And Peter says in Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, 46 and 47, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out uh, even to the Gentiles. So first of all, class, it is, it is a, it's a gift. All right, it's a gift, all right? I want you to know. Second, baptism of the Holy Spirit is spontaneous and it's part of the salvation. We touched on that. It's, there is not a single command there's not a single command. The reason I say this is sometimes there are these errors that creep in, saying that, you know, I'm not spiritual enough to have the Spirit of God in, in, in me, and so I have to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we just saw that if, if, if I don't have the Spirit of God, I don't really belong to Him. I, nothing's happened to me. And there's no command to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The, uh, the verse that we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, it's written to the Corinthian church. We had seen that before. The Corinthian church was not like a super spiritual church. And they were told by Paul that they've been baptized. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make you perfect, but you're indeed baptized. There's also a, the second, uh, uh, the error is also called the, the second blessing. The second blessing that I have to, you know, wait and pray and be really, you know, hunkered down and pray to, to, so that I'm baptized. We saw in Romans 8, 9 that if I don't have the spirit of Christ, I don't belong to him. 
So if it's a gift, it must be something that he gives, not something that I earn. But then uh, the third one I want you to notice, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs only once in the believer's life. It's not a repeated event. It's not that you're baptized every once in a while. It's just the once for all because the Lord Jesus Christ said he's going to give us eternal life and eternal life doesn't perish. It doesn't have to be, you know, re-given again and again. We are baptized. Uh, God doesn't give imperfect gifts. And the fourth one I want you to understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the believer's baptism. They are two different. You saw in the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Great Commission, he says, making disciples and baptizing them. It's something that the believers do as a result of being the disciple of Jesus Christ, as, as knowing who he is. I want to be identified with him. It's the waters bapt wa baptism of, of water that we will be seeing this afternoon. But the spirit baptism is something that it, we saw is a gift done wholly and completely by the Spirit of God. It's the result of the spirit of baptism that leads us to say, I want to show and declare to the world in the water's baptism that that change has happened. You cannot, uh, you know, you, you, you have to maintain the order. So there has been some errors here. They would say that there's an understanding that you have to repent and be baptized to be saved. Now, if you were to do that, you were saying that the work of Christ on the cross is not sufficient. You're saying that, that when he said it is finished, is a no, you need to get baptized too. You see, the work of Christ on the cross is sufficient for our salvation. And so water's baptism is not to be added to complete your salvation, but it's part of the obedience because he commanded of the work that, that has happened in my heart. So if I want to be obedient to what the Lord Jesus Christ says, I, I will be because that's what he commanded. But I don't get baptized to finally say I can check this off. I'm not saved on my way to heaven. Then you have taken away. You have diluted. You've rejected the complete work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also the... Uh, you know, the baptismal regeneration saying that it's when you get baptized that you're born again or you become a believer or there's a regeneration or there's a salvation experience. And uh, sometimes the, uh, the proof text for this error is taken from Acts chapter 22, verse 16, where uh, Paul is mentioning about how Ananias had come and told him uh, when, you know, on the road to Damascus, he, he was going to persecute those saints in Damascus, and he meets with the Lord Jesus Christ on the way, and there were scales on his eyes he wasn't able to see, and he was fasting and praying for three days, and Ananias is sent. So when he repeats the story in Acts 22, this is what it says that An Ananias told him, get up, and be, get, get up and get baptized. Get your sins washed away but they forget to see by means of calling on the name of the Lord. They put the stress on this. Get up and get baptized to be saved. That's not what it's saying. It says get up and be baptized. 
Because you want to indicate, we want to show that, yeah, listen, I, I have been this unruly, I have been this uh, reprobate, I have been this very ignorantly, but I was thinking I was passionately serving Christ. As we saw today, this morning from First Timothy, where Paul makes this, like, I, I, I didn't deserve it. But now, you need to get identified with Jesus Christ. Let the world know that, no, that is not who I am. This is who I am in Jesus Christ. And it's by the calling on the name of Jesus, uh, of the Lord, as it says here. You see, what's happened is, because of this, there has been this baptizing of the infants, you know, getting people, uh, as, as it were, there's this preparing for salvation, and all of those errors that have crept in as a, as a lack of understanding of what really happens. Fifth, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not to be confused with the other works of the Holy Spirit. You, you will hear terms of anointing by the Holy Spirit, filling of the Holy Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but this is not that. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the most important question we need to ask then is how do I get baptized by the Holy Spirit? You just said, I just said that it's a gift. But how can that be my experience? I want to tell you a story of Ben-Hur. I'm not sure whether you've read that book. This book was written by General Lee Wallace and it was later made into a movie. And the story goes like this where there was Judah, Ben-Hur and Masala. They were friends who grew up together. Judah was a Jew, and uh, Masala was a Gentile. And after the, as they grew up, uh, Judah, uh, Ben-Hur was from a very wealthy Jewish family, but he goes off to Rome. Masala goes off to Rome. He becomes a very important soldier, and he's coming into Jerusalem, marching. And so they're all gathered to watch him as, it, uh, as they come in. And there was an accident. A tile slips and falls from the house of Judah Ben-Hur onto the soldiers. And so Judah Ben-Hur is sent away, even though Masala knew that that was not, that that was an accident, but he wanted to show his power. And the sister and the mother are, um, you know, put away too. Ben-Hur becomes a slave in a Roman galley, in a boat. He's rowing, and usually these, these slaves last only for a year. But he, he's got so much hatred against Masala that he says, I'm going to come back, I'm going to avenge myself, and I'm going to deliver my mother and my sister. So at, at the end of about three years, the ship sinks, and he saves the commander. He was a wealthy commander, and, and because... Uh, the, the commander uh, was saved. He says he adopts Ben-Hur as his son and gives him the identi identity, the new identity. And with that, he now comes into Jerusalem. And he confronts Masala. And he says, you know, you know what he did was wrong. Where are my, uh, my, where's my mother? Where's my sister? Where's my family? And uh, he finds out, he finds out that they had actually now become lepers, Marcella, that is. So Marcella sends uh, the mother and the daughter off into the leper, uh, leper's colony. The scene moves on to where they have this chariot, the race, the chariot race. It's, you know, it's one of the best shots uh, 
that you might remember from the movie, but uh, in that, Masala is about to die. And when Ben-Hur comes in, out of spite, Masala says, your, your mother and your sister are lepers. And so then Ben-Hur runs to this uh, leper's colony, and, and he had heard about Jesus Christ, and he had heard about this man who heals, and he didn't know completely who he was, but he says, I want to take you to Jesus Christ. And so he brings them, and he's coming into Jerusalem, but he hears the news that Jesus has been crucified. And I really don't know how the story connects, but eventually um, um, in the movie it shows that the blood of Christ you know, flowing out because of the rain and... Um, um, and uh, the mother and the daughter are healed of the leprosy. But there's a change of heart, more importantly, the change of heart in their lives. You see, what I want you to understand is that sin, hatred, all of those have done such devastation in every man's life, every woman's life. And we can try to take, you know, try to do things on our own. We might think that I've got it. I can figure this out. Or I can, you know, somebody's hurt me, tooth, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I can do that. But never will, have, never will I have the salvation for my soul. Never will I be able to get rid of the sin of leprosy until I come to Jesus Christ. Until I recognize that there's nothing I can do about this leprosy called sin. And it's only Christ. Christ who died on your behalf. Now because he died for your behalf, I can say that the papers can be exchanged as it were. Jesus dies for me instead of, dies for me and you know, he, he takes away my sin. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And when you say that, yes, I, I want to identify myself with Jesus Christ. When, I, when you say that, yes, he is the one who is my savior. He's the one who has healed my soul. You're saved, you're converted, you're transformed, use whatever you may, but you're also baptized in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit says you belong now to Jesus Christ and you are baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. And I pray that this truth will always be um, one that will beat in our hearts as, as, a, as with such gratitude for what he's done for us. And for those who really don't understand what this is, I would love to tell you a little more, to tell you that this person, this Jesus Christ, God who became man, is worth it. And so this, this afternoon, we have the joy of three of those who will come up and say, no, this work has happened in my life. This baptism of the Holy Spirit has happened. I'm transformed. I'm identified with Jesus Christ. And now as I go into the water, I'm being buried with him. I'm dead in Christ. Now I rise up to this new life. It's the imagery that has played out of what has already happened because God commanded it, the Lord commanded it, and I'm going to do it. May that be true of all of us. Father God, we want to thank you for all that you've been. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for sending us your son. Thank you for saying, Lord, that, uh, that uh, thank you for, not, for sparing not your son, but sending him to die. 
But we who had no right, we who had no possibility of ever extricating ourselves, of getting out of this sin, of this mess, this, this deadness that we are in, that your son would come, give us this newness of life. The son would come, would place his righteousness on us and take our filthy sins and lay it upon himself and that he would take our punishment. We pray, Lord, that everybody here would know this entirely and truly. We thank you. We love you. Thank you for all that you've been. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, and all God's people said, amen.